Greetings, everyone. Pastor Kerry Willis here, District Servant of the Philadelphia District Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to this episode of an Open Door podcast. My heart is warm that you would come and take time away from your busy day or night to lean in to these recordings. I think today you will be very glad that you listened. Occasionally, I hear a message that I really feel I have to share with others, and that happened recently. A pastor on our district, Pastor Frank Short, preached a message that really is one I think everyone in the church should hear and would want to hear. And so I ask his permission uh, to use his message on the podcast, and he agreed. So now would you just sit back and take a listen, and I believe that you will hear one of the most needed, powerful, and tender messages that you have ever heard. Thanks again. This morning, we've already recognized Father's Day, right? And June June is a month of celebration, and um, there's a couple celebrations that, you know, are particularly important to me. One is Father's Day, right? Some uh, join with some of you guys this morning. My wife's birthday is during this month, so that's kind of an important celebration. Uh, and then yesterday, uh, Laura Lee and I yesterday celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary. And so... <laughs> Yes, she deserves all the applause for that. That is for sure. Uh, growing up, my, uh, my mother, uh, you know, we lived in a big farmhouse, lived on a farm. We had one of those great big uh, farmhouses. And uh, throughout the house, my mother had a few of those Hoosier cabinets, if you guys are familiar with those, right? This was kind of a thing that she really liked. And uh, I, I remember on one of the Hoosier cabinets, there were, you know, she always had stuff on them and decorated, you know. Um, I'm not sure that they were actually ever used. I think they were just there for decoration. But on top of one of the Hoosier cabinets in our house, uh, there was a picture. It was actually this picture uh, that sat on our Hoosier cabinet, one of the Hoosier cabinets in the house, as long as I can remember. I mean, from being a, a, a small kid, I just always remember you know, that that picture was up on top of uh, the Hoosier cabinet. So as long as I can remember, and it was in the exact same position, right? Like, so some things, you know, in your home, you might move around, or I don't know if some of you have those wives that, that feel the necessity to change a room every now and then. Uh, you come home and things are different. Um, but like this did not change. And, and I noticed this picture was always there, and it was always in the exact same location. But one day, uh, when I was a little older, I just happened to be curious, and I was like, man, I'm going to take a closer look at that picture. It's always sat up there, never really could see it that good. It just always sat there. And I remember I turned it. I, I, I got up on a, on a chair and picked up, and I turned it. And when I turned it, now you may not be able to see this from here. I don't know if you can see it. But when I turned it, I noticed that the entire picture was covered with swastikas. And I was like, oh. I was like, okay, is there a family story I need to know about that I'm not, you know? Uh, and I was, I'll be honest with you, I was just kind of like, what the, you know, I mean, I was like, what is going on? And um, so I ended up 
as I got a little older, I ended up doing some research on this picture, and I found out something that was actually surprising when I looked into the origins. See, it turned out that I discovered that the swastika was something that has been around nearly 7,000 years. It has been utilized as a symbol by cultures for nearly 7,000 years. Cultures all around the world have utilized the swastika, and it has always, in history, been a symbol of abundance, prosperity, and good fortune until it was appropriated by Adolf Hitler in the Third Reich. And then we know that it became a symbol of evil and hatred, right? And it's so unfortunate because now that's all anybody ever thinks about when they see it, right? The symbol was hijacked. Well, there was another symbol that got hijacked back in the 1970s. In the 1970s, there was a symbol just like the swastika, which had been a long-standing symbol in culture. It was a powerful symbol that had a meaning and purpose. In the 1970s, there was another symbol with meaning and purpose that was hijacked by another group who appropriated the rainbow. And you know what? I just realized I got to get my clicker out before we go much further. The rainbow. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 12 through 13, this is what Scripture tells us. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds And it is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. Folks, the rainbow is a sign of promise, not pride. The rainbow is a symbol of mercy, not immorality. And just like the other, it's been hijacked And it seems like now, as in the culture we live in, it will be forever linked, not to God's covenant, but to another agenda. And I think there's irony in Scripture sometimes. Now, Ephesus is mine. That's not how it comes in the original version. I'm just, right? So I'm admitting to that right up front. But I just seem, I find irony in Scripture. Now, before we go any further this morning, um, some of you might be getting worried. Some of you might be getting nervous. There could be somebody that's anxious. Uh, I want to offer a few disclaimers before we go any further. Maybe ask you, thinking, well, why in the world are we even, why is he going there? Well, tis the season, right? And one of the things that was being discussed at General Assembly was one of the uh, major uh, statements that were lots of amendments were being suggested or, or offered to the Church of the Nazarene statement on gender and human sexuality. Um, and uh, I'm happy to report that their stance did not change at all. Amen. 
there were some language changes, but it went in the direction of tightening, not loosening. Um, so, you know, I'm happy to report that. But here are the disclaimers that I want to put out there before we even go any further, because I think this is really important. And the other thing is, whether you're here or you're watching online, I, I, I hope stay with me till the end, okay? Don't just assume something. Don't just check out. Don't think that you know where I'm headed. You don't uh, necessarily. So, but here's what I want you to know. Here are my disclaimers. Number one, I want to make it very clear. I am not mad at, nor do I feel hatred toward anyone within the LGBTQIAS2 plus community. And if that was a lot of letters you didn't recognize, you're behind the times, right? But that's important. I don't have a hatred for anybody. I don't have any ill feelings toward anybody that are part of the community, okay? Number two, I want you to know this, that I have, I have friends and relatives that are currently a part of that community, and they would comprise many of those letters. So just so you understand, if you're trying to understand your context or what context I'm coming from, I have people who are friends and relatives that represent more than one of the letters, multiple letters that are in there. I have relatives, number three, I have relatives that have come out of that community, but not before bringing hurt and devastation to their marriage and their family. And number four, I love my friends and relatives that are part of that community. It's important that you hear me on that before I go any further. My intention today is to bear witness to the testimony of Scripture regarding this topic. My goal is to reduce confusion and bolster clarity. And my hope is to encourage you how to respond to people in this community. So, I understand this is a very complex issue, right? And it's charged with emotion. And there's in no way I can treat this subject exhaustively or comprehensively in 30 minutes. However, as I've already stated, my desire is to bring clarity to the testimony of Scripture. That's it, simply. So, let's take a look. Good place to start is right here. And I've mentioned this passage before in other sermons. I've talked about this, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. Here's the thing I want us to understand. And sometimes, not just for this topic, not just for addressing this issue, but in all issues, because too often we fail to remember that when we read this, there is no New Testament. This is simply a letter being written by the Apostle Paul to his disciple Timothy as a young pastor and instructing him that all Scripture is inspired by God. Paul, folks, is talking about the Old Testament. Paul is saying to Timothy, the Old Testament matters. 
It is inspired by God and it is written to benefit us. So you and I are never given the option of tossing out the Old Testament. It is still God's inspired scripture today. Okay? That's important before we head further. So let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 1.27 tells us, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The first thing I want you to notice is God created. God created human beings, folks. We are not here accidentally. We are not here by mistake. God created us. And we, the next thing above all creatures, above all creatures that exist on this planet, we are the only creature that God created to bear his image. Right? We are image bearers of God. So there's a design. There's a point. There's a purpose. And God created them male and female. There are only two genders. Period. Now, I'm not saying culture or society might suggest multiple genders, but God only created two. And we must not hijack Scripture to support or perpetuate confusion. Right? There are only two genders, folks. And we can argue that, and people can get into all kinds of things. And again, most of those discussions are emotionally charged. But the reality is, you can't use Scripture to argue that point. It is clear. God created two, male and female. Now, back a little further than what we did with 2 Timothy, right? Leviticus chapter 18 Verse 22, do not practice homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman. It is a detestable sin. Now, why did I bring this up? I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on any one. I'm not picking on any one letter in the community. So just so you understand that, right? I'm not picking on any one letter. What I really want you to get from this verse, the reason I picked this out, because this is in Leviticus, right? This is Old Testament, but not Old Testament. This is early Old Testament. And the reason I bring it up is because I want you to understand this is not a new thing. Sometimes in our culture today, we act like this has all of a sudden just popped out, just all of a sudden arose in the last 50 years or 100 years. Folks, all of the things connected to this, homosexuality is not new. Every society and culture has dealt with this for thousands of years. It's not a new thing. There's not all of a sudden, well, see, the Bible's antiquated. It doesn't understand this come up. No, no, no. It was written to address because it's not new. It's been around a long time. The other thing was that Scripture from the very beginning lists it as a sin. doesn't list it as an orientation. It lists it as a sin. Because we need to understand that anything that is a deviation from God's design, any deviation from God's design is a sin. 
And I know we don't like that, right? I've said this before because we don't like, you know, we don't like those words put on us. We don't want to be sinners. We're, we're not sinners. We're mistakers, right? That's what we would prefer, right? We don't, we don't like to call that. But it's, it's just Scripture doesn't allow us the option. But let's jump to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Now this is the Apostle Paul writing. We just went through Corinthians about, I don't know, a little less than a year ago. We walked through that, right? The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheap people, It's a pretty long list. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, a witness of Scripture from Moses to Paul is consistent with how it treats these issues. Scripture is consistent, Old to New Testament. Sexual immorality is a sin in any form, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual. So we need to get that understanding too. Because the church, we do have a tendency to single out like one thing and make it the end all the be alls, right? A couple of decades ago, it might have been divorce, right? That was the big one. Ooh, the big D, right? Folks, sexual immorality is sexual immorality. Whether it's heterosexual or it's homosexual, it's not one is worse than the other. They're, it's sin because it's deviating from God's design. Here's what I, I want you to hear in this. Well, let me back up before we jump into that. And, and this is a truth I think we really need to grab a hold of because our culture just wrestles with this in every direction. Hear this. Our sexuality is Temporary. Our souls are eternal. We need, to, we need to deposit that right here. Sexuality, I don't care what kind of sexuality, how you're wrestling with it, whether you're struggling with it, in whatever form, fashion, or preoccupation, your sexuality is temporary. But your soul is eternal. What truly matters? Newsflash, this might be a disappointment to you, no sex in heaven. Some of you don't want to go now. Right? No sex in heaven, no marriage in heaven. That's for this place. Right? That's it. So I don't know if you knew that. Some of you might be relieved. You're thinking, oh, this isn't for eternity. Right? I don't know. But we need to understand that. We need to understand the weight of something. Because our culture today, everything, man, sexuality is just like, has the weight of everything. We put so much emphasis and importance on it. It's temporary, folks. But our soul is eternal. Continue in Romans chapter 1, Paul's writing again. He says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created 
instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen? That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. I bring that up just to make sure you know that uh, the Scripture treats male and female alike, so there's equal treatment, right? Both are being mentioned. Folks, God determined gender. And God established sexual parameters. And when we deviate from God's design or we breach God's parameters, it equals sin. Many in our culture today want to argue from a position that uh, Jesus never said anything regarding this issue. Right? I've, I've demonstrated that the Old Testament speaks to it. I've demonstrated that the New Testament speaks to it. And I've demonstrated that it's consistent across its view. But there are many that still argue, well, yes, I know the Old Testament says it, but that's the Old Testament. Wait a minute. Paul said to Timothy, all Scripture is inspired, so we don't throw away the Old Testament. We don't ignore it. Well, you know, I know that the prophets said it, and then Paul said it, the apostles, but Jesus never spoke about it. Well, that would be wrong on two accounts. That's wrong on two accounts. So anybody that goes from that point of argument is arguing from an ignorant position. They're ignorant of the Scriptures, and they're ignorant of theology and understanding our God. Because see, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word, and the Bible says that the Word was with Him, was with God in the beginning when the earth was created, when male and female were created. Do you know it is Jesus, along with the Holy Spirit, and our Heavenly Father, who inspired all Scripture. So when we hear the Old Testament, we hear the echoes of Jesus' voice. He did author the Old Testament. So when the Old Testament speaks, Jesus spoke. When the New Testament speaks, Jesus speaks. But on the second account, Jesus actually did address some of these things. He wasn't addressing it in a direct way, but he covered it. In Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to put this up, and I put it in your programs in red letters. Because I know some of you got to have the red letter stuff, right? You're like, oh, if it ain't in red letters, I'm not buying it. Right? All right, so I'm going to give you some red letters. Okay? Jesus is being asked about marriage, but he really hits a few things right here. The first thing Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? He gets this question because somebody's trying to pin him or they're trying to, they're trying to find a way out of something, right? And they, he goes, look, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. 
So now Jesus addresses our gender issue. There's only two. And God created them. And he said, this explains why a man underlined it because if you look up that term, that is a masculine term. That explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Feminine term. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So right in here we have Jesus' response. First thing he's saying to people is read the scriptures. Would you read your stinking Bible? Right? We sit there and think there's not answers to things. There are answers. They're in there. Read the Bible. The second thing is God made them male and female. Jesus is declaring it. There's your genders. Marriage, he's defining It is between a man, a male, and a wife, a female, a masculine and feminine term. God is the one who created marriage, so he defines marriage. And I find it interesting that Jesus is actually quoting Scripture. He did that a lot, you know, kind of quoted himself, right? And in this passage, in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, he quotes Genesis 1, 27, Genesis 2, 24, and Genesis 5, 2. Why would he do that? Because all Scripture is inspired by God, right? God determines gender, folks, not culture. God establishes sexual parameters, not culture. And God defines marriage, not culture. So, as a guy that I call my pastor, Pastor Kelly Williams out in Colorado Springs, he said this, and I just thought this was a very important thing. He said that possessive pronouns are way more important than personal pronouns. See, it's more important whose you are than who you are. Now, hear me. It's more important whose you are than who you are, right? We must find our identity in Christ, not our sexuality, because sexuality is temporary and our souls are eternal, So then, how should we respond to this community in our culture? Glad you asked. The first and foremost, folks, is we've got to love them. I mean, you know that we're called to do that, right? We're, We're actually called to love everybody. Not just the people that you like. Not just the people who look like you. Not just the people who live the same way you do. We're called to love everyone everyone in our midst regardless of their particular vices or virtues accepting them now hear me accepting them where they are and treating them with civility and kindness but let's not get confused 
It's not loving to affirm confusion. You and I are called to accept, not affirm. They're two different things. Two different things. And number two, we must stand on the truth of Scripture. However, the truth never gives you freedom to be a jerk. You know, we've allowed things to happen in the last few years, and we've, we've allowed something to come in and into our culture broadly, and somehow we've lost the ability to disagree, right? That's stupid. If I disagree with you about one slice of life, I'm not your enemy. But somehow we've gotten there. And that's sad because we've lost all the way around. And I think that's why we have such difficulty trying to navigate these issues and how do we work with people and be in relationship. Folks, we can disagree with someone and still love them. Right? We can accept them as a human being and treat them with kindness and civility without affirming sin. Our culture is getting more difficult to navigate, and following Jesus is going to become costlier in the future. So we must learn to walk in humility. I ask you to stand together. This morning, I'm just going to throw this out there. The, the altar's open, um, and I would encourage you this. Right? I know somebody's like, oh, I ain't going down there. Right? They're going to think I'm part of the community. I, look, that's not even what I'm asking or what I'm suggesting. Here's, here's what I would encourage you. How do we respond, right? Standing on the truth of God's word, but not being a jerk. Being loving, accepting, and not necessarily affirming. But you know what should precede all of that? We need to lift people in prayer, right? If there's somebody that, you know, a loved one, somebody you care about, a friend of yours, a, a, a family member that's wrestling through those issues. Instead of distancing yourself from them, instead of severing relationships, shouldn't you be fostering relationships? Shouldn't you be creating conversation? But maybe it could just start with lifting them in prayer. Right? Lifting them in prayer, asking God to touch their hearts and to touch yours, that He would give you the words, the humility to speak truth in love. Right? 
So I would encourage you this morning, uh, we're going to pray in just a second, but if there's somebody in your world, in your sphere, that you're navigating with or you're trying to have conversation with, I would invite you to come down and pray and lift them to the Lord and ask Him to give you wisdom as well and how to best represent Him right, as you interact with them. Let's pray. This morning, Lord, you... Uh, Lord, you know our frailties. You know our flaws. You know our failings. There's, there's none of us that in here can stand here and be self-righteous. Any and all righteousness in this room is only because of your presence here. Lord, I pray you would open our hearts, Lord. Uh, Lord, to help us to represent you well. To be followers of Jesus that love well. Lord, help, help us untangle these things and, and stand on the truth of your word. Lord, I pray we do it with kindness, civility. Lord, I pray for those that maybe we're related to or we're friends with or we work with. Lord, help us to nurture those relationships. Help us to foster those relationships. Lord, help us to be able to have real conversations. Lord, help us to convey a sense that we truly, genuinely love and care about our friends and family and co-workers. At the end of the day, it ultimately doesn't matter what we think. It matters what God thinks. But I think Scripture is pretty clear. Lord, help us to walk in humility. Lord, knowing that love, the love that you've called us to, is a love that sacrifices for the benefit of others. Lord, maybe that requires us to sacrifice our pride while not affirming pride. Lord, help us. Help us as a church. Help us as the body of Christ globally. to faithfully represent you and your word. Lord, symbols and images may be hijacked, but we must not let the scriptures, 
or our Lord and Savior be hijacked. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling that you would open their hearts and minds to be receptive that while somebody may disagree with them, it doesn't mean they don't love them. Lord, we love you this morning. We're grateful for your word. And as Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by you. And it helps us. Helps us to do what is right. It corrects us when we're wrong. Lord, we may we hear your words and hear your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sing one more time together. In this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and fear, there is only one foundation. We believe. We believe.
Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. I would like to give thanks once again to Pastor Frank Short uh, for allowing us to place his message on an Open Door podcast. He pastors the New Holland Church of the Nazarene in Pennsylvania. And I believe that God gave him a word not only for his local church, but for all of us and beyond. I pray that your day will be amazingly graced and I look forward to the next episode of an Open Door podcast, and I hope you'll join me then as well. Until then, just remember, Jesus cares.